Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host and producer of Your Story Matters radio show. Today on Encouraging Entrepreneurs, I am interviewing Carol Sanek. She is a successful entrepreneur. She blogs. She also coaches and consults with other people and teaches several classes on social media and other things. And I'm going to let her tell you all the amazing things that she does. She's also a breast cancer survivor and has done a lot of great work sharing her story and helping others to be encouraged and inspired by it. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the show. Hello, Angela. It's great to talk with you today. I know that you have so many things that you've shared over time through your blog or even through Facebook posts that have encouraged and inspired others. And that's what we're hoping to do today is to inspire others and encourage them to realize that there is hope beyond sometimes the obstacles and the challenges that we face. Before we talk about all that you've gone through and kind of what's led up to what you're doing right now, can you give the listeners a little bit of history about you, what you've been doing, where you came from, anything interesting about your background that's kind of helped develop the characters that attribute to your success now? I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. I was born and raised there. And I am the granddaughter of, I'm sorry, great-granddaughter of some of the founders of Cleveland, Ohio. Our family has great history in that town, including you know, having a street that's named after your family name. Neat. Yeah, so my grandfather designed uh, Cleveland Hopkins Airport. As a matter of fact, the lobby of Cleveland Hopkins Airport is still his design. They haven't changed it in all these years. And he did all the police stations and the fire stations. And then his firm was actually best known for doing Severance Hall, which is where the Cleveland Orchestra plays. So I grew up amidst airports, mm-hmm. police, police stations, fire stations, and the Cleveland Orchestra, a very you know, world-famous orchestra. I love the fact that I came from there, but I use the word from, you know, mm-hmm. because I have lived in so many diverse places in the world that um, to even go back home now, while I enjoy it because I have family there, you know, how they say you can't go back home again, well, I think that's kind of true in a lot of aspects Mm -hmm. because things things change too much. Right. Um, I worked at the world-famous Cleveland Clinic Hospital as a nurse Mm -hmm. um, for maybe about three, four years, and um, that is where I got a lot of my background in oncology. My field of nursing. I just finally one day had, had had it with living there. I had visited Chicago many times, so I ended up in Chicago because it was my dream city, mm-hmm. you know, the place that I wanted to live. And when I lived in Chicago, I just had an amazing life. I was single. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a, a lot of fun to live in a great, big, exciting city like that. I made a lot of friends, and I still fortunately get to go back and forth. We still have family there now, too. So, it's What was it along your journey, you think, that... Um, kind of melted you into the person that you are as far as moving on from being a nurse and doing those different things to becoming an entrepreneur? Well, being that I'm a nurse, I'm always a caretaker. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's just in my blood. Mm-hmm. It's something I wanted to be ever since high school, and I achieved my goal. I started out at The Ohio State University, but unfortunately I lost my father along the way, and I finished up my program in Cleveland itself at a community college. That's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter where I got my degree. It just led me down the road of always wanting to help others. My father Mm -hmm. died of cancer, so I was right away thrown into the desire to be, you know, the caretaker nurse that I am still today, and I still do that. You tell me that you've got breast cancer going on, and I'm right in there with all the advice and everything else, and Mm -hmm. probably sometimes, you know, people want to say, okay, Carol, that's enough already. Mm -hmm. But having walked through the fires of it all, you know, I just feel that 
I'm obligated. In fact, I actually promised God when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, which was 18 years ago right now, um, that if I could survive this diagnosis, that I would help others along the way any time that it was in my face, so to speak. And let me tell you something. Breast cancer was in my face. I finished my treatment in February, the end of February of 1994, and it was in my face in May. I mean, mm. I tried to, you know, I moved away from where I had been treated. I came down to Florida, wanted to do some healing, you know, wanted to move past my uh, physical healing into spiritual healing, and the first person I met had breast cancer. Mm. <laughs> wow. And I wasn't even really diagnosed. I looked at her and felt her lump and said, this is not good, and we were, the next thing we were, you know, through treatment with her, and she was a brand new friend, and she's still very much alive, and I'm very glad that, you know, I was... She was in my face, so to speak, but uh, it wasn't what I was expecting, you know, mm-hmm. not yet. I hadn't healed yet. I, I was still working on this myself. Right. Know? A cancer diagnosis is uh, very scary, obviously, and yes. to anybody who has had that diagnosis and is still dealing with it. I understand it fully. I understand what people go through, and I don't ever want to lose that understanding, and that's mm-hmm. what keeps me in touch with the cancer community, you know, even now today, mm-hmm. is that I, I don't ever want to lose that understanding of what that when you first hear the words, you have a malignancy, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's just your world is upside down and everything's done a 180 and you're at your ground zero. That's your personal ground zero mm-hmm. because you find yourself saying, my personal ground zero doesn't come up as much anymore, but for somebody who's new, newly diagnosed, you know, newly going through a treatment, they're going to have that ground zero moment for a while yet. My job, I feel, is to help them through that, get them back on the path of thriving after having a diagnosis of cancer. Mm-hmm. I love that, and I know you do a lot of work with many people and have touched many lives, and I think that's awesome. I want to talk about, though, what did you do with your fear and your frustration and if you had any anger or whatever feelings you had when you were diagnosed and going through surgery or treatment? How did you handle all those emotions? Uh, knowledge is power. In my case, it was too much power because as a nurse in the hospital, when I worked in oncology, the patients I saw were end-stage patients. Mm-hmm. The minute I was diagnosed, I saw myself in the bed with the IV and the chemo drip and the whole nine yards, you know. And so it was probably terrifying in a different way, as terrifying as it is to anybody else, but more in a different way because knowledge is power. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I did not have any power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I had no control. I had to hand my control over to the surgeons. I had to hand it over to the radiation people. I had right. to hand it over to the oncologist. You know, and after a while, when you're ever when you're control freak to begin with, this this is difficult. Mm-hmm. And I was alone. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't have anybody to speak of in my life that I could rely on. I had just recently moved to Richmond, Virginia, when I was diagnosed. So I'm living in a town where I don't know anybody. Mm. So That's hard. Me, you know, my, you know, when I came home from the hospital and I couldn't lift my right arm and I couldn't do anything, I didn't have anybody who could cook for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to drive for, for maybe, I think maybe a week. And I actually had to get behind the wheel of my car and go and get takeout food. I didn't, that's, that's what my life was like then, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do what you have to do. And my doctor was like screaming at me the next week. You still had drugs in your system and you were out there driving and everything. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't realize that, you know, my arm wasn't going to be immobile, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and that I was going to be unable to even prepare food. Mm-hmm. I had to do takeout for a week, you know, mm-hmm. because I couldn't hold a knife. I couldn't pick up a pot. I mean, there was so much, I, you know, it really puts a whole new perspective on what disabilities are because, right. you know, you're feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, please. You know, I realized that there's 
a lot more people, you know, in this world that have it worse in life than I do. But you certainly sit there and feel sorry for yourself when you can't do anything and you don't have anybody to help you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I took the time off from work. I was actually working um, in our in a capacity of the internal workings of hospitals by that time in a management position. So I took I took the time off of work, you know, to go through treatment. And fortunately for me, my treatment was covered very nicely by my hospital. In other words, you know, well, <laughs> everybody else has 80-20 plans and insurance. I had a 100 plan, mm-hmm. you know, 100% plan because mm-hmm. I was employed in management. So I was able to take that time off and take care of myself. And when I decided to move on to Florida from from Richmond, uh, Virginia, and get a new start and try to try to get the healing going. Because I, mo- I moved to an island. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I didn't move to like Miami or Tampa or Jacksonville. I moved to an island in the Gulf mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I knew that at that point I needed to have that. I wanted the anonymity. Well, that didn't last, obviously, but I wanted the anonymity and I wanted to spend time on the beach and I wanted to commune with God and I wanted to and nature. You know, and I just wanted. And expected to be able to do that, and I, I never was. It took me 13 years. Mm-hmm. It took me 13 years to heal. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes is, it takes a lot of people a lot of years, or it's ongoing, and it really depends on the individual person. And I'd love for you to be able to share some of the tips or strategies you learned along this journey as far as dealing with your emotions and your feelings about the whole thing. Well, as silly as this might sound, before I had my surgery, even though my background was nursing and I consider myself to be a pretty intelligent woman, especially medically, you know, intelligent, I would lie in bed at night and imagine that my cancer was jumping from one big toe to the other. But, you know, you go through strange feelings at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as crazy as that might sound, you know, you're, you're terrified. You know, you're lying there in bed and you're going, and, you know, night terrors are the worst. You know, I, I lost so much weight that my clothes actually physically fell off my body, mm. you know, during this during this period of time because I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family was scattered all over the world, and I cried a lot. Mm-hmm. I cried a lot. I actually did some consultations um, with my priest, and he pretty much put me back on the track. You know, when I made that promise, you know, that I would, okay, God, if I can live and if I can make it through this diagnosis, I will always be there for other people, always. You know, and of course, I was tested immediately, which kind of grounded me. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to be in cancer, but, you know, the Lord, I think, had a different plan for right, me. Right. You know, and there it was in my lap. Mm-hmm. And it just grew from there, you know, because once one person finds out, then the next person finds out. And, you know, uh, pretty soon I was starting a support group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the next thing I knew, I was on a, I did a public a PBS half hour on it with a breast cancer surgeon. You know, and it just kind of kept going. I realized now that that's where I was meant to be. Right, it was part of your journey. Yes, it was part of my journey, mm-hmm. part of my story. Yes, that I was still meant to always be involved in it. I just had to figure out a way to forgive my body for trying to cause an early death in my, you know mm-hmm. myself. You know, and that's not an easy thing to do because you know, hey. You know, what happened? What did I do to, you know, and then we all say that when we get a, a, any kind of traumatic diagnosis, you know, what did I do to deserve this and how did I bring this into my life? You mm-hmm. know? So it sounds like you've done a great deal of soul searching at the same time, helping other people to face their own situations and encourage them to move forward beyond their diagnosis. Yes, I find that that's one of the most important things that anybody can do. But unfortunately, 
um, I call them wall dwellers or cliffhanger honors. Uh, we are always going to have people who are afraid to come back to life, so to speak. You know, right. Their life has been shattered, and they don't know how to pick up those pieces and put them back together. And that's my goal now. My goal is in helping people to do spiritual healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I, I focus on the most. But interestingly enough, Angela, you know, even when I work on, when I when I started out working on this just this past spring with a Facebook page on thriving after breast cancer, you know, I found people slowly liking my page, but not engaging, not talking. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I sat there and I looked at it and I said, what is the matter? And I realized, you know what, the people who are reading my page are still the people hanging onto the cliff, you know, hanging onto the wall. Right. And, they, and I, had to, I had to really look at it and I realized that as much as I had thought uh, that I had, was reaching out to people who were just about ready to make that, you know, dive into the water or let go of the wall or whatever, I was actually reaching people that weren't quite there yet, and they, I, had, I changed everything on that page to becoming inspirational and all about the color pink. Mm-hmm. I post pink pictures now, not, and I'm not a pink ribbon person. I make that very clear up front. Even the logo of my page is a pink rose in the snow because mm-hmm. I'm trying to convey thriving. You know, if I right. can thrive in ice-cold snow, you know, you can thrive too. So I had to, I had to uh, actually retool my thinking and bring it to them because you know when you are coaching or you are doing anything, you have to always keep in mind what WIFM radio, what's in it for me. That's what the people are listening to. They're listening to you because they want information and they want to take that information and make their lives better or feel better about themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Now, yeah, you do your radio show for this very reason. So and so, I took my page, which I thought was going to help people take that dive or you know let go of the wall, and it, now it's inspirational quotes. And it's pink flowers and pink sunsets and a pink cosmopolitan, whatever. Whatever anybody else posts in pink, I am sharing with people on my page. And suddenly, people are thanking me. They're making comments. They're right. friendship. And I'm going, you know, okay, fine. I, you know, these people, they'll get there someday. But I had to back up the plan and realize, you know, I still have to. I think that's great that you recognize that you needed to make some changes. And that really is a, a key tip as an entrepreneur is to constantly be aware of what our audience is seeking, what they need, and how much feedback and connection are we actually having with them. Because if we're not having much, we probably need to do something. So that leads into my question. What did you learn from your breast cancer situation that helped you to be a successful entrepreneur? If there are things that you could pull out of that whole experience that really add to what you're doing now professionally. You know, I call it flying by the seat of my pants. Whatever I believed in prior to having breast cancer, once I had it and went through it and survived it and thrived it, which I do now, I I don't uh, worry about the little things. I just fly now. I mean, if something really flips my switch and I think it's, you know, oh, I need to do that, I just do it. I don't stop and think, well, now what are the ramifications here? Mm-hmm. Because you know what? Life is very short, and it can be even shorter. And, I, you know, I'm always reminded about the story about that uh, the woman, the female oncologist from Stone Kettering, from Memorial Stone Kettering in New York, who is, was, I'm sorry, was very, very uh, extremely well-known. And people, women, men who have given breast cancer too, wanted her to be their oncologist, and mm-hmm. she left work one day and crossed the road to catch a taxi and got hit by a car and died. Mm. I learned that I had to trust that I will always land on my feet as long as I am using good common sense. So now, instead of being afraid to do things, 
I just say, okay, if it makes sense, and I know it's okay, you know, nothing earth-shattering is going to happen, you know, to me physically or emotionally. I just go for it now. Right, right. I'm reminded that, you know, at any given moment, you know, I could be gone. I am so grateful that I've had this chance this, this extra 18 years because I was, you know, I could have gone then. The cancer could have been worse. Right. I mean, you just never, ever know. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's my de- definition of thriving. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how long you have left. If you're a stage three or you're a stage four, it's what you do with that time that that's you right. have left. You can thrive. If you have six months left, you can thrive if you have two months left because you can leave an impression upon people that never goes away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. And I appreciate you saying that because that's obviously what we're talking about when we talk about people's stories and the fact that your story matters and you matter. It's that value point in your story that you can share with other people and that we encourage people to do that can really encourage or inspire or change someone's life. And it's just amazing when that happens. I would love for you to share with the listeners what evolved as far as becoming an entrepreneur and doing all the things that you're doing, because you're doing quite a lot right now and different things. And it would be great to know how that kind of evolved into doing all that instead of having the traditional job. This is, this is another one of those stories where you go, I never believed I'd ever be doing what I'm doing today mm-hmm. because I am not, I never wanted to be on a computer, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. I never really, other than, you know, I thought they were neat for sending emails. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, yeah. When, when I first came back to Florida, um, well, after, let me backtrack for a minute here. When I left the island, I went to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. I still hadn't healed, so I went to Costa Rica. And while I was in Costa Rica, of course, what was I doing? I was going out and with a, working with a plastic surgeon who was doing breast reconstruction mm. after breast cancer. And there I was right back in it again. But I liked the man and I believed in what he was doing. So here I was again, just following along with the experts and helping people along the way. And I love that. You know, mm-hmm. it's the caretaker again. So when I came back to the United States, I had a computer. Not that I had a computer. It was left in the apartment in Chicago where I I rented this apartment. So here's this monstrosity. And it's heavy. I can barely lift it. Mm -hmm. But it still worked. It worked. So I started poking around with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm poking around with it. And I'm I'm playing with it in the whole nine yards. Just doing email. You know, that's all. Just doing email. And my job at this point in time, I I moved into wound care. I was taking, you know, here again, always the caretaker. I was doing wound care. I was doing mastectomy products. You know, of course, we started placing our orders over the computers. And I'm Mm -hmm. going, okay, fine, I can handle this, no problem. But then my curiosity got the best of me. And then I started to see what you really could do on a computer. And I actually did a complete 180 in the way I think about things like that. And I started using computers I wanted. To, I learned. I took classes like crazy. I wanted to learn everything I could possibly do on a computer that could make my day and my workday a lot simpler and a lot quicker and a mm-hmm. lot faster. But I still stayed in the sales area of my career. You know, I, I moved on to pharmaceutical sales from there. And one day, I met this wonderful man, Larry. And you know, a year and a half later, we got married. And he said, "You know what, Carol?" He said, "We need to move to Florida." And I said, "Okay." He said, yeah, we need to move to Florida. And he said, let's get our real estate licenses and let's open a real estate brokerage in Florida. I said, hey, no problem. You know, I new career. I'm ready for this. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, done, I had done real estate before for a brief time when I lived on the island the first time. And the MLS at that point in time was a stapled together sheaf of papers. So now it's not anymore. Now everything's on the computer. But you know what, Angela, I saw this. I thought outside the box, and I saw what could happen potentially down the road. Mm-hmm. And when my when my space came on, and my kids were using my space, I was using my space for advertising. Mm-hmm. I realized 
I realized the potential here and the people that you could start reaching because you know, exponentially, you know, you know, if you have 10 friends and they have 10 friends and it keeps just multiplying up by zeros. I saw that. I saw that. So I, you know, I said, okay, new career, we're changing here. And that's when I started becoming more interested in the background of making companies work. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my nursing career was, is a wonderful career, but I also have a major in, I also majored in English. So I took those skills, I reached deep inside me and brought all those writing skills I used to have and used to use. I brought them to the surface and I started reusing them again and realizing that, you know, I am, I can wax very philosophical. And the next thing I knew, you know, I was blogging. And mm-hmm. people, this was, you know, six years ago I started blogging, blogging before a lot of people even knew what blogging was. Right, I right. started blogging and I developed a following. Mm-hmm. And not only did I develop a following, but they were actually listening to me or, mm-hmm. you know, hearing me. And they were taking my advice and I went, wow, I felt like the Ann Landers of blog world, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it, was, it was really cool. So you pick up the ball again and you run with it. You know, I love helping people. This is caretaking in a different arena. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I'm not doing it face-to-face, but I'm certainly doing it computer to computer right and blog you know blog to email and it's just it's just snowballed and you know and gone from there you know every time i turn around i'm taking a class i'm there are people that are natural born to something like this mm-hmm. i wasn't mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. not and i had to take these classes and learn how to be not the best out there in the world i'm certainly not but the best that carol can be right right and i like that i love what you're saying because i think it's important to continually educate ourselves about whatever our purpose or passion is and whatever we're trying to do, do it well. And if you don't have the skill set, at least find the avenues to learn what you need to learn. Well said, my dear, well said. Going back just a little bit, though, that's a big change. So you're moving all of a sudden to a new state. You're starting a whole new career. Were there emotions there of of fear, of failure, of feeling like, wow, what what if this doesn't go right? What will happen then? Nope. I firmly believed. And it might be a little bit cocky of me to say so. And I am an optimist and the glass is more than half full um, that I could set out to do anything I wanted to do. You, you asked me a question before about how I got through this. You know, I'm a very strong woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, can I cry? Sure, I can cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can I handle it on my own? Yeah, I can handle it on my own. And when I say I land on my feet, I've always landed on my feet. I'm not to say that I'm being, you know, I absolutely am not that self-assured, but you know, I do it when I know it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm willing to take risks, but they're risks that are a little bit thought out, you know, more so than some of what these crazy young kids sometimes do, you know, thinking that they're immortal. I know I'm not immortal, but heck, I survived breast cancer. I'll right. try anything. You know, and I think point. that's a good marker to say, you know, if I can survive that, I can survive this. And as you said, if you're thinking it through to a certain degree, and you believe in what you're doing, you believe in yourself, that's key, especially to being a successful entrepreneur, but that's key to life. I agree. I totally agree. You can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to try something new. You really can't. I call it the gut factor. If it feels okay in my gut, I'm going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't listen to my heart necessarily. I listen to my gut. Yeah, I might want to do it in my heart, but as long as the gut's comfortable with it, then I'm going to go with it. If the gut gives me the butterflies, no, I'm not going to go with it. Mm-hmm. I like you know, that. We all, we all have a barometer. We do. But yes. most of the time, we don't listen to them. Yes. You're and right. Many times, you know, many, too, too many times, we listen to the heart, mm-hmm. and that gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great advice, and I think that's another great point for entrepreneurs is that 
we have to trust our intuition, our gut instincts, and then go with that, do something about it. Right. Were there times uh, that you did have some minor setbacks or there was failure? And if so, what did you do about that? If I was going to talk failures, of course, I would talk about the fact that I had a couple bad decisions from my heart, you know, Mm -hmm. wrong men, Uh wrong men in your life and, and things that, you know, you want to kick yourself for afterwards. But, but... I remember, I, I wasn't a big um, watcher of Dawson's Creek, my kids were. It was a different show. It was her kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time when Katie Holmes, that's who was on that, yeah, Katie Holmes, uh, her grandmother, I think it was, what, had, had breast cancer. And she said to her grandmother, Grandma, do you have any regrets? And her grandmother turned around, and I was, and the grandmother said, uh, no, I don't have any regrets because I can't change anything anyway. And boy, mm. that put a whole new perspective on my life because anything that I had been feeling guilty about or feeling like I had been a failure about, that completely changed it right there. That was a pivoting you know, moment for me because I realized that I could, you know, I could drown in guilt, I could right. drown in regret, or I could just say, you know what, I can apologize for something one time and that's all I ever do. I mm-hmm. tell people all the time, never apologize more than once, because every time you apologize, you've ripped the scab off the wound. Mm-hmm. So never apologize more than one time, and then let it go, and don't have the regrets, and don't have the guilt, because you can't change anything anyway. That's right. I agree, and I think that it's so important to just learn from our mistakes or our regrets, and to move on, and not just to let it go, but to forgive ourselves if necessary. Right, and I agree with that, and I should, you know, yes, you do need to forgive yourself, and you do need, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you need to learn something from it. I mean, if you keep going around and making the same mistakes, well, then you haven't learned anything. Right. And I, I, you know, I mean, seriously, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I actually, because I was living alone, I actually did have a good, I had an excellent psychologist, excellent, and she got me through so much, and that was her specialty was working with people with traumatic diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. was her niche, you know, that was her niche market. She was an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit in, you know, in that, that she had developed this niche market of counseling people with traumatic diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And she was just an amazing woman. And, you know, she, she taught me something too. She taught me, I have stopped arguing with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I back down from arguments. I'll walk away from arguments because Norma said to me one day, she said, Carol, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Right. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, that opens the door to just going, you know what, walk away from it. It is so cleansing mm-hmm. to keep that saying. in. I have it taped to my PC. I love it. That's great oh, advice. Know. Yeah, because I, I lived as a single woman for quite a while with, you know, after my diagnosis, and I still had to deal with, you know, my fears. And I'll tell you, actually, I want to go back to something you had asked me. For a while, I pretended I'd never had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I got my exams and I did everything, but I didn't talk about it anymore. And right. I, didn't, I, I moved forward from it, but that wasn't healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was in denial. I was in denial. Your mind does funny things to you. Think you're okay. And then one day I woke up and I realized that I wasn't okay yet. I hadn't really ever gotten past, you know, the fact that I dealt with this all by myself and I got angry with people. Mm-hmm. I got angry with my family that didn't come to visit me during that time. I got angry with my best friend who, believe it or not, never had, dropped me like a hot potato mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I was diagnosed. It all came to this. That was when I put all my energies into doing the 60 miles, three-day you know, breast cancer walk, which I had swore to my girlfriend I would never do because I don't like sweating. When I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I trained for that from... April until we did it here in Tampa in October. Uh-huh. And when I, when I hit that finish line, that's my defining moment of 
being emotionally cured and healed from my having had this. Then I knew that I had come full circle and I was a thriver. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. What are some of the things you do through your business now and how can people best connect with you to find out more about what you're doing and get your assistance if they need it? The first thing anybody you know can do that's on Facebook, obviously, is search me by name. I'm always looking for new friends. I love my new friends, and especially if they have something like this going on in their lives, or they can visit my Facebook page, which is called After Breast Cancer Reviving, Surviving, Thriving. And I answer all private emails, and everything is kept confidential because, you know, my background being nursing, I do respect people's privacy mm-hmm. and confidentiality. Right. Other than that, my blog is the same name, After Breast Cancer Reviving. Surviving Thriving is the name of my blog, and I have other blogs, my social butterfly media marketing company in which I teach people social media. Mm-hmm. I get them to think outside the box. I'm not going to be the author of the next best-selling book on how to do Facebook or things like that. I like to keep it simple, and I like to teach people from the 101. Right. <laughs> you know, Facebook 101, Twitter 101, this kind of stuff, because my goal in life is just to get people birthed and then let them go, right. you know, kick them out of the nest. So, you know, generally speaking, my clients, are approximately, unless they're a big company, they are generally three visits, you know, on the phone, three Mm -hmm. visits on the internet, that kind of thing, because I'm not looking for that lifelong commitment of helping you market your business for the next 30 years. That's not me. The best thing that probably defines me there is that I'm the caretaker now of social media for those who are just afraid to put their toes in the water. Love it. That's awesome. Carol, thank you so much for sharing a part of your story today and for all that you're doing to encourage and inspire others. And I wish you the best in your continued endeavors. Thank you, Angela. And the same to you.